0: and you are watching Behind the Pen. I am an author of 13 books. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm also a radio host and a podcaster. Um, Today with me, I have a very, very special guest. You may know her as the Naked Podcaster or Mother of 18. Please welcome Jen Taylor. Welcome, Jen.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks. It's great to be here.
0: You've got a niche. I mean, everyone's looking for that niche. We want to stand out. We want to be different from every other person. And so when you do your podcasts, you do your podcast naked.
1: I do. I do my podcast naked.
0: Where did that idea first come from? How did you have the guts to first do your first ever program? Because I bet you were shaking.
1: I mean, what was it like? Actually, it wasn't that nerve-wracking at all. I don't think being – first of all, I'm naked, but, you know, I'm closer to the camera, so you can only see me from the armpits up. Mm -hmm. So you don't see any of my body naked. Mm it's more the metaphor about it the representation i'm asking my guests to bear it all emotionally and i'm willing to support them by bearing it all physically so that's a small part of where it came from and you're not seeing anything yeah so for the people who are viewing the video it's the it's my intent of being naked it's you know but you i'm not just like running through the streets naked <laughs> in town so that's one thing about it i am legitimately naked i am i'm just covered in the places that need to be covered so that's one part of it so it wasn't nerve-wracking for me at all and i am blessed in the sense that we all come with our own story and our own baggage and our own issues and being self-conscious of my body is not one of my issues Wow. I have lots of others, but that's not one of them. So it was not scary or, or uncomfortable for me to be naked. I think more of the fear came from, if there was fear, more came from, that i would get rude comments about it which i have and once that happens it's like you know my daughter saying she was afraid to fall on her bike and then she finally fell on her bike and then she wasn't nervous about it anymore it happened okay i was worried about people misunderstanding my intent the nakedness yeah the naked podcaster it's sexy it's good branding but i wouldn't have used that branding if it wasn't really fitting and it it it, i'm not selling sex that's not my intent no the, the reason that the, the way it happened is a fun story. I had a coach several years ago and she said, you know, what's your dream job? And I said, I don't want to have to wear pants. And I was just kind of being sarcastic. <laughs> person that i am right although that was very legitimate i wanted to have my own dress code i didn't want to have to conform to corporate world anymore and so not wearing pants kind of summed that up in my sarcastic way and uh one day i started my podcast and it was called jen taylor rerouting for the first couple months and the reason it was rerouting is because you know i'm i'm in the car with my best friend one day driving her to get her car fixed pick up her car that was fixed and it says take a left and i took a left and then my gps was like rerouting and i'm like seriously how could i have done that wrong i it told me to take a left i took a left and it feels like life i looked at it, I'm like that is the story of my life you think you're on track and then you realize that you're not something reroutes you. And so in in my podcast, I was talking to people about their stories of struggle and I dig really deep and how life reroutes you. And it wasn't a hundred percent correct. The title did not fit a hundred percent my podcast, but it was as close as I could get. And I launched it anyway because I don't believe in waiting for things to be perfect. So don't wait for things to be perfect. So, I, my husband walked in the room one day and I was doing a podcast and I did not have pants on, legitimately was not wearing pants. I I had a shirt on because that seemed more appropriate in a meeting on video that you wear a shirt. And at that point, I've always recorded the video and used video, but I wasn't, I was only using the audio. Mm-hmm. So it didn't, we, you can look any way you want when you show up. So, you know, I had a shirt on, but no pants. So after that was over, he's like, so... When you told your coach you didn't want to wear pants like you're really not wearing pants and i'm like i could be naked because you can only see me from the armpits up it would and he's like so you are you want to be the naked podcaster and i'm like yeah actually i do want to be the naked podcaster and i was like oh my gosh i i'm the naked (laughs) podcaster and And then i went wait a minute i can't get all excited about this unless it really fits my platform and it fit the platform so much more than rerouting did that i changed the name i didn't miss a beat i changed the name and when i went video i removed my all my clothes so in the beginning, I was the naked podcaster because they were bearing it all, and I was bearing it all, but we weren't using the video, and now I also use the video. I was like, well, that's silly. If we're using the video to record,
0: Why not and I'm have the naked podcaster, naked.
1: Yeah. We need to, I need to do that. And so, okay. you know, it's been three and a half years. The podcast has been three, and I've had it for three um, and a half years, and I've loved it. And it's an, everything's an evolution. And you have to roll with it, and that that isn't a massive revolution um you know evolution it was I renamed it, and then i i used video i mean it that's not that's not like a huge change, but it happened very organically from a conversation with my husband because I was not wearing clothes and America. he
0: was okay with that. He
1: encouraged me. It actually, it took me a couple months to make the change, to change everything on the back end of the podcast, and it was because he was encouraging it. Yeah, well, I'm really, really asking people to dig deep about their story. If I can find your information online, that's not, that's a great starting point. And I look people up online because I want to know, what can I find online about you? I don't want to talk about the same story over and over Mm -hmm. again. I want you to dig deeper. And we dig very deep. And I'm not trying to make my guests or I don't, I'm not asking my guests to be emotionally train wrecks, but when they cry and they're digging deep and they're really tapping in, that's the magic for me. That's when I know. And that the reason I'm asking them to do that is because when people listen, I want those people to feel like they're not alone. So when someone talks about an eating disorder disorder or body dysmorphia or being raped by your father at nine years old, I I want the audience to feel like, oh my gosh, this person gets me, I'm not alone in this struggle. Mm -hmm. And we dig so deep because that's where people are emotionally, but we hide. And I don't want people to hide on my podcast. So it helps them feel less alone. But then we're also talking about, and a huge part of what we're talking about is the who, what, when, where, and how they got through that. Or they're still getting through that. You, if you have debilitating anxiety, it's not done 10 years ago, and now you it's perfectly fine. You're still maintaining okay. that yeah, yeah. in a healthy way. So then I want my listeners to think, oh, my gosh, these are the tools and tricks that helped that person that resonated with me. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel alone, and now I've got tips and tricks. Those tips and tricks are not always going to be new things. People bring up meditation, for example, all the time.
0: Yoga meditation never worked for me
1: correct it never worked for me either until someone said guided meditation and gave me an example and i tried it and i really enjoyed it do i do it every day no do i know that i have tracks that will help me when i want to when i feel like that's something that i want to do yeah i do i i have tracks now and i can use meditation so sometimes it can be something you hear over and over and over again but that person said it in a way that it clicked Mm -hmm. and other times it's something that we haven't heard or we heard but it didn't it just never clicked with us at all um and i i want people to feel less alone and then build a toolbox that is my goal and by hearing other people's stories that's what the podcast the naked podcaster does and these people i mean you know i had my one of my adult daughters came on i've had a few of my my kids on at this point that are adopt that are do- um adults now and I learned things about my own daughter who was living in my house that I didn't realize. And it was the first podcast I ever cried on. So as a, as a host, I've only cried twice out of a couple hundred. And one of them was my own daughter describing a situation that she just never had opened up while Uh she was going through it. And you know what, those, these are hard conversations to have with people. They're really hard conversations when people go through this massive struggle. And, Another issue that happens because self-esteem is so large is that you could contact me and said, Jen, I'd love to be on your podcast, but I don't know if my story is good enough. <laughs> there, There is no such thing. Yeah, Everyone's enough. story is good yeah. enough. There's no such, there's no bar that you have to fit. Yeah, the woman who whose biological father raped her from nine to 21 years old. That was a, a, that was the other podcast that made me cry. That was really, really an extreme struggle and I I was molested. So I resonated with that struggle Mm -hmm. and hers was huge. It was huge. That doesn't mean if your struggle is, and I don't want to, I'm not saying simply, if your struggle means that you have horrific confidence and self-esteem issues and it's affected your relationships. That is good enough. There is no barometer for a good enough story. Definitely. And my, my husband's asked me, like, don't you want to have really famous people on? Sure. The reason why is that that will get people to listen. Listeners will listen if it's somebody famous. Their stories aren't better than the normal person, my next door neighbor, you know, who, who came from Russia during the Cold War and got her doctorate here in the United States. So there's no, and again, that's also the struggle between the normal person that you interview and a person who's more famous. It gets my numbers higher. It makes people sit up and listen more, but hopefully if I had somebody super famous that crushed my numbers, really gave me exposure, that that would get the person to realize that the other interviews are equally as powerful sometimes more powerful than that famous person exactly you've
0: got all these new viewers now because of this famous person and they're going to start listening to all your previous ones that aren't about famous people but will resonate to them maybe they relate to them maybe they just get emotional i mean you're talking about getting emotional and just talking about what you said my I was ready to start tearing up! I'm I'm, I'm such an emotional person, Um, I I cry at the tiniest thing, it's ridiculous. But um, let's talk about the other thing that you're you're known for, and that's that you're a mother of 18. Now, are are these your children? Are these your adopted kids? I mean, tell me where where have these kids come from?
1: (laughs) Well, this is probably the number one most asked question, and I have a pretty good way of dialing it in. I went through infertility and was told I couldn't have children. So I went through seven surgeries. I got up to in vitro and I knew it wasn't my path. So for women out there that go through inferti- infertility, like I I get you, you are my tribe. And if you took if you took the path of in vitro fertilization, God bless you because it was not mine. I stopped after seven surgeries I was maxed out on medication yeah. and then I ended up being coming pregnant and my doctor hugged me and it was a very odd thing for that. I had I had wonderful experiences with the medical professionals. I'd also had my first OBGYN appointment at 15 and um that OBGYN told me I would quite possibly have trouble getting pregnant and to expect to go through infertility and I don't know. I'm almost 50. I don't know what he saw in me at 15 that made him comment know? that yeah. way but it really it was one of those seeds that got dropped so when i went through infertility when i had issues i wasn't surprised and i was almost you ready
0: for it yeah
1: so it wasn't as much of an emotional trauma for me to want to have a baby and not be able to because mm-hmm. that seed had been planted so i did that and i got pregnant the fir- with my first daughter biological daughter and i knew that that was the end of medical intervention for me that if i got pregnant on my own it would be on my own it would be no more infertility I did get pregnant seven times I gave birth four and I lost three my last pregnancy I lost twins at 19 weeks and I ended up having three surgeries a DNC a hysterectomy and then I had internal bleeding and I actually it was a very traumatic surgery it took them almost three hours to do that surgery and stop the bleeding I had five blood transfusions I was dead on the table. So that's my biological journey. Um, So I resonate with a lot of women from infertility to miscarriage to birth to, you know, because I went through all of that. After my first daughter was born, I started foster care. And I started foster care because I grew up with, I wasn't in foster care as a child, but I went through all the same struggles as Mm -hmm. foster kids go through. So I had adopted (laughs) four. And then I had one foreign exchange student and one long-term foster child. So if you're doing math, that's 10. (laughs) I have to put it. It's on a spreadsheet. I had to put it. The first time I got asked, oh, my gosh, I don't even know where they came from. So I put it on a spreadsheet. So now I can answer the question really well. So that's 10, and I was divorced. While I I was dating a man, and so I had a stepdaughter from that, and I also had had, – another adopted daughter, and her older brother and younger sister from same mom, different dads. So I knew her dad, but her mom had an older and a younger child. It's very convoluted here. So I took on those children. So that was a total of 14. And with those, like I said, one was adopted. She's 20 now. And uh, one was a stepdaughter and one, uh, two of them were long term foster care, one aged out and one I had for several years. So that was 14. I had nine kids at home. I was single. And my daughter, who's now 28, she and a friend of mine, years, she was about 20 at the time, um, fixed me, started fixing me up on dates. Like any man crazy enough to want to date a woman with 14 kids who's been divorced, uh, you know. Like I was like I really am not interested in this, but it was fun and it was um, amusing and it was it was a really good time and they did a, a really stellar job and uh, I that's a great separate conversation to have, but they one of the people they fixed me up with was Dane and he had four children and his wife had died. So I had, I had nine children at home when he and I met, but my daughter, who's now 28, moved out right around the same time that he and I met. So I had eight at home and he had four and we were a blended family with 12 at living at home. So I've had 11 or 12 kids living at home several times off and on through the journey but never more than 12 at once. I ha- The picture that I use for almost all of my social media is a picture from four and a half years ago. It's Christmas 2015, and I will always use this picture because there mm-hmm. were 14 50? kids. There were 14. 14- I, I, I we get like seven or eight on a regular basis. Yeah. At the same- I will never get 14 kids. And also, one of my sons in that picture has died, and so oh. I... I will never have him in the picture again, and that's something that I have not really ever publicly talked about a whole lot, Mm. but um, I lost my son, he would have been 27, and uh, because he's in that photo... That is your photo. That is my photo for the rest of the rest of time. There's a lot of others I use, but as far as my banner and my, you know, I mean, but still, if I got 14 kids together again at the same time, I mean, it would be possible, not probable, but I, I might switch it out just because of that, but it's so hard to get that many kids. So now I've gone through this experience of 12 years of doing foster care and then another three years of teaching I was I actually worked in foster care I trained foster parents and then having these 18 kids with all different backgrounds coming and going for different situations and so I've experienced as a parent almost 28 and a half years as we're recording this in 2020 you know my daughter turned 28 in April of 2020 so I have over 28 years experience parenting in a lot of different situations and I've gone through Every situation I can imagine from the death of a child to teenage pregnancy to suicide attempts, I mean everything. So I, about four years ago is when I launched my business, realizing that I've become an expert in the field of parenting, which means I will not necessarily give you parenting advice or tell you how, because I don't think there should be a parenting how-to book, Mm -hmm. because we are all different as parents, Mm -hmm. and every one of our children is so different, Mm -hmm. but I can give you my experience, what I would have done differently, and now that I have children that are mostly adults, I'm down to one child at home. As of this weekend, my daughter just moved out three days ago, so having gone through Empty Nest, And being a grandparent 10 times over. Actually, as we're recording this right now, I have an adopted daughter who is in the hospital. Uh, Her C-section is scheduled one hour from when we are chatting right now. Oh, wow. So I mean I've got I've run the gamut of almost everything. I'm sure there are things I haven't experienced that I can, but kids getting married, kids moving out, kids having their own children. And so I just have this wealth of experience and it started with my story. And that's what I wrote the book about was my story of growing up in dysfunction. And not only did I not perpetuate a cycle of abuse, neglect, and dysfunction, I ended up somehow with 18 kids. I mean, I just told you how, but, you know, like I didn't, I never sat down at like 17 when I was in my first year of college and thought, yeah, I think I'll have 18 kids. That sounds like a nice round number. You know there was no there was like no that. rhyme or reason we I took life as it happened, and I just kind of embraced it and I also know that in foster care, I said no to more kids than I said yes to
0: those are really
1: yeah. those
0: those are tough choices yeah, it would be um, let's talk about your book. Tell me the title and and, and what it's about and why you wrote
1: it i Wow, that's a great way to phrase things. Um, I wanted to write a book for years. And, you know, 85% of people who want to write a book don't. And when I stopped working in foster care, I was really lost. I was very lost. I kind of didn't know what direction I wanted to, to go. And financially, my husband said, why don't you take a couple months off? and write the book you've always talked about, ha! and then I'm faced, like I'm given the gift of time, and although fin- I don't want to make it sound like, like finances were stressful, but we could do it, mm-hmm. so I, I had five months that I could take off, so who gets the gift of time without the tremendous stress of finances, and so we figured we sat down and figured out how we could budget so that I could stay home for five months. And then I thought, oh, well, now I have to decide if I want to be an author or want to talk about being an author, (laughs) which you know from being an author multiple times. That's a pretty big decision, and it's a big commitment. And there's so much more involved in it than you're ever going to know, even after you go through it sometimes once. So I decided I wanted to be an author, and I had to write a book. My fear behind writing this book, the book is about my dysfunction growing up. So I'm writing about people that are still alive. And my hesitation was the fear that, well, what if my mom reads it? What if my sister hates it? Because when you're talking about your own story, it is your perception, which is not my sister's perception. We grew up in the same house, right? Same house, same situation. Our perceptions are vastly different.
0: So she's going to read stuff she didn't even know about. And you're, you know, you're Or
1: disagrees with.
0: Yeah. you're worried that she'll get upset about it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Which she did. That did happen. Um, and I was afraid of that. I was also afraid because this was four years ago. So I had several kids at home at the time still. I was also concerned my children would read it. And what if they thought differently about me? And then something happened five years ago five and a half years ago, in February 2015. So it happened before I decided to write the book, but this is what gave me the guts to really want to. So when the opportunity presented itself, I went with it. So in February of 2015, my kids came forward. Um, There were six kids with my ex-husband that were under the age of 18. And those six kids, three of them came forward and um, said that a family member was abusing them physically when that happened and i had to step forward as a parent in a different way i was no longer afraid of sharing my story because now i was watching my children's story unfold so 14 months later when i and i and i worked i was the person working in a nonprofit, like 60 plus hours a week you know you i i didn't feel like i had the time to write a book and i know other people feel like that and you don't need to not have a job to write a book but for me, I was overwhelmed with 12 kids at home and working a very, very full-time job. So writing the book was – I actually had, had done some of it, but it, it was – I was not focused on it. When my kids came forward with that story, I wanted them to never feel fear of sharing their story. So I – my fear was eradicated. I still had concerns about family members – my mother or my sister reading it um, – Certainly my goal was never to offend anyone, but I was no longer afraid because I never wanted my kids to be afraid of sharing their story. And I encouraged them to read my book when I, when it was done.
0: Yeah.
1: And most of them have. So the book was called, Hello, or is called, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess. And my cover, which I did myself, so it's less professional, But I'm very proud of it because my daughter, my youngest daughter, was four or five at the time. And she wasn't, she was writing, but she wasn't reading. So I wrote the words survivor, victim. Um, And I wrote these words, and she wrote them on the name tags, you know, the hello, my name is name tags. And I wanted that to represent how others label us. But we also label ourselves or we allow others to na- enable us. Yes, I'm a survivor. Yes, I'm a victim, but that doesn't define me. So I crumbled up those papers and then I spread them out and I took the pictures and I designed my my book cover because we should not label ourselves or allow others you to your book with you now. Have you got your book what, with you now? Yeah, actually I do. I can stand up and get it. Thank
0: you. Yeah, I'd love to see the cover.
1: Look I'll at show this. it at the Look end at of at how, the
0: show anyway. <laughs> uh,
1: this is my copy. It's not for resale. So hello, my name is Warrior Princess. So I crumbled these uh, and crossed them out because I will not allow myself or others to that's amazing. label me. But I will label myself Warrior Princess. That is and wonderful. Warrior Princess comes from... Tina. Uh, Wonder <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, I was abused. Yes, I'm a survivor. Yes, I'm a victim. But that does not define who I am. I'm a warrior princess. And it's my story of growing up in dysfunction. And so the the kids came forward with this family member that they were being abused by and i stepped in in a different way and then i had i wasn't thinking at the time now i'm not afraid to write my book but when the opportunity presented itself to write my book i realized i had no fear and and where before i might have been timid of my kids reading my book now i wanted my story to come out and so that was my story and then after i wrote the book i realized well my story's great i love my story but it's one of millions of stories, and nine months later, I launched the podcast. I wanted the podcast to be, you know, if whether you've written a book or not is moot, I wanted people to be able to share their story, like really, really gut-wrenchingly share their story like I did in the book. And so it's kind of like writing a book in an hour with me in the podcast. You're really, really bearing it all and sharing it and sharing those tools because that's what I did in my book. At the end of every chapter, you know, I was in my forties and it was kind of the hindsight, the retrospect of what toolbox was I building as a small child, as I grew up, that you don't even realize that you're building and how important Mm -hmm. that is, that's vital.
0: How much closure did you get from writing the book? Did you finally feel that you finally got the closure you needed?
1: What was interesting is that I, I had done so much work on myself that it wasn't difficult for me to write about the hard things. I had an amazing developmental editor who's also a coach, and I hired her at the beginning of writing the book instead of writing it and then hiring, and then hiring. which I would always encourage. There's a couple things. Don't try to create your title before you write your book. Just don't worry <laughs> about it. Okay, write, write we always, we go in the wrong order. Write some ideas, but don't, don't care about the title. It will happen on its own. That's one thing. And the other thing is hire a, a really good editor who coaches you at the beginning of writing your book instead of trying to write it all and then hiring someone. And mm-hmm. I think that process, I wrote the book in two months and then it took another two months to get the, you know, the ISBN and the formatting to actually have it physically in my hand but I was done with really it. Right. That is so good really for a book. Yeah. Because I treated it like my job. I I had a five month window. And I wasn't working outside of the home. So the kids would get on the bus and I would have six hours and I treated it like a job because I was so grateful that I had that gift of time. Other people do it different ways, but I was also able to do it because I hired that editor in the beginning. So I had her coaching me. So it was hard as far as closure was that I, I have worked through so much of that baggage from my past that I had to really focus and tap into the emotions I felt at the time Mm. Not the emotions that I felt now as a person writing it. Gotcha. So that was kind of backwards for me. Writing it wasn't cathartic in the sense that it got me processing that. That did happen. I'm not eliminating that completely. But I the emotional part for me was completely different than the negative stuff that happened. And it was how I structured things. And that, that in turn launched the podcast and it also launched my business and, and it was a complete happy accident, which is my favorite way that things happen.
0: Happy accident. That's the title for your next book.
1: Happy. Okay. I'm actually writing that down right now. Because it legitimately, this is how. Don't try to get the titles and stuff first. (laughs) They are a happy accident. So there you, yeah, yeah. It's been a really interesting, odd process, and and it and that's a funny thing is that people never ask me about that. They're so connected. You know, my kids' abuse story directly kicked me and they lit the fire the additional fire i needed so that when i had the opportunity to write the book i was i was fearless and that as a side result launched the podcast and a business almost simultaneously that i never expected so although the book is my story and the podcast is other people's story it came from my children's story Mm. and not wanting them to be afraid and wanting to give them resources so that they could go through their process of healing faster, easier, and more supported. That was the whole goal in writing the book that became the goal in the podcast.
0: Yeah, I've never done a nonfiction book. Um, I, every one of my fiction novels, no matter what genre I write in, has part of me in my book. Some experience that I've been through will be in that book. Uh, Some are very biographical and some just of things just thrown in from memory and stuff. But to actually sit there and write a non-fiction book about stuff that's happened to me in my life, I don't know if I could go there because I still have trouble with it now, dealing with it. So I don't think I could actually sit down and write it. Although when I have done my non-fiction my work, I have found like it's been very therapeutic and I have found closure from killing off the bullies in my um, one of my short stories. And um, so, so yeah, that's um, very uh, therapeutic and uh, I get closure from that. But uh, I don't think I could actually write a
1: non-fiction book
0: because I'm not ready to go there
1: yet that makes sense it is hard and you need to and yeah i mean i'll give a trigger warning on writing your own story because i feel it was i felt very blessed that i'd work through it all i knew that it may trigger things in me and i kind i had a backup plan for that However, I think I had created enough, I'd worked through enough and I created a, a support system that was so great that that didn't end up being a concern. Certainly <laughs> though, when you're writing fiction, you can take your snippets of your real life and insert them into the book. And that can be very cathartic. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all have to do it a different way. I mean, a lot of my coaching is writing. I think writing, you know, if you actually take pen to paper not even typing although that's a good second best no I'm a pen to paper girl me I'm a pen (sighs) to paper we're old school I I mean I you know I have post-it notes on my desk I I yeah I have a notepad I have a post-it note that does I'll convert (laughs) it see (laughs) like
0: they're
1: yep and on my, oh my shelves goodness. behind me, I, oh, yeah. I love that. I have one in my purse. I have one yes. on my desk. I have three yes. on my shelves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But regardless, it, eventually it gets the computer. If, I don't want people to to disregard the fact that if you type it, you're still getting the information. But I prefer the pen to paper and then converting it to the Correct.
0: type That's the way I do it.
1: If you're just jotting it down in journal form or as you think of them or bullet points or information, it, you know, there's a lot, it goes a long way in helping you heal. Mm-hmm. Writing a book is kind of like, that's the big, the big thing that you can do when you're telling your story, but there are lots of ways to do it that isn't so confronting And I think that that's very important. You're doing it by writing fiction and inserting small things and having some closure. You know, I people do it through journaling. Um, You can even do a voice. You know, you can. I've I I'm I go I'm a runner and so sometimes when you're running these things come to me where I'm like where did this come from so I use my voice recorder and then I'll transcribe it and a lot of the times I'm like what was I thinking on that run like that's not going anywhere I
0: get some strange in the supermarket when I whip that dictaphone out and start talking oh, to this tape recorder
1: <laughs> oh I love the dictaphone I mean no I love it And you know, interesting things come from that. So there are a lot of modalities to get your story out that have nothing to do with publishing a book, but Mm -hmm. really help you work through it. And that's part of the podcast. Like that's part of my coaching. That's part of, okay, you've had these really tough things happen, but it didn't define you, it doesn't have to define who you, it's a part of who I am. And my tough stuff really helped me learn. I mean, I have 18 kids because of my tough stuff what an incredible journey that's been so it takes you on this journey if you really love your tough stuff and honor those struggles and learn from it and move forward it really takes you in some very interesting directions because now I I work from home I freelance I coach I have a podcast I I would have if you had asked me four years ago I would have told you you were crazy just absolutely crazy. I no, that's not going to happen. And all of it has, you know, it's been over four years since the book. It's been almost exact it's been exactly August of 2016 was when I had the book in my hands. So then I was a published author. So really in the last four plus years, I would have happened. never guessed. And if you really just kind of lean back and lean in at the same time you allow those things to happen and kind of go with them. It's amazing where you end up. Tell me
0: about it. I started Author Assist uh, five years ago. And since then, um, the business has grown. I'm still doing it single-handedly. I've gone from three services to 30. I have hundreds of clients that I've helped over the years. got my podcasts now. I do my narrations. They're turned into podcasts. I have three years now with my radio show, uh, Behind the Pen is new, but that's been turned from a YouTube show into a podcast as well. If you'd asked me five years ago, I was an author at home, um, working in a doctor's surgery and with uh, two, two kids, you know, to, to how I am now working because of a disability, working from home with my business, um, if i hadn't had the disability if i hadn't got ill i wouldn't have started arthritis and and so it's like you know it's it's fate fate brings you these things yeah you don't go after them they come to you i've never gone <laughs> after anything everything's just landed to me and whether I, i've taken it whether i could cope with it I'll give it a go, and if if it runs, it runs. If it doesn't, if it fails, it fails. At least you've given it a go. But I don't go after things, they just seem
1: to happen. And I think you change when that hap, yes, because you're putting that out there and you're taking the next step, we still have to take action on things that present themselves. And I'm sure there are more things that have presented themselves that I haven't taken action on than I have. But when something presents itself or you have an idea, you know, when when I first wrote the book, I wanted to help everybody write books because I was, I was proud of myself and I realized how hard it was and I didn't want that mm-hmm. 85% out there. And I tried really hard. I had a meetup group and like, how can I make this work? And it didn't. It was a square peg in a round hole. It did not work. But nine months after my book was launched, you know, I, I was, i um, my husband's best friend had a very successful podcast and he said jen you should start a podcast with the information that you have and he handed me my first microphone and a month later i was live now i would have not thought about that had had i not had that conversation it wasn't anywhere on my radar i was exactly. trying to figure out how do i help people get published how do i help people get published and it's interesting but because now i freelance with a publishing company and I help people get published. And that wasn't on my radar. And so, you know, that's a great side job that I really love because I've been passionate about it for four and a half years. But when I was trying to make it happen four years ago, it wasn't the right situation or time. And I got that microphone handed to me and I was—I just kind of shrugged and went, well, okay, I'll do that. And it became kind of, my goal was how can I help people write a book in an hour in, in the same format that I wrote my book in. That was it. That was the, only, that's how I started. That was the only thing I knew that I wanted to accomplish. And that I thought an hour was a good amount of time to have an interview. Within a couple of months, I realized that I was attracting and finding entrepreneurs and it wasn't on purpose, so I thought, okay, entrepreneurs, something about what I'm doing resonates, and I very quickly realized 100% of entrepreneurs design their business based off of their struggle. There's a direct connection, and then I loved that even more. So you have to allow things to grow and develop on their own, but you also have to take notice of them so that when things come up... You're like, oh, I'm noticing I'm getting entrepreneurs and I want to do something with that part. So I think it's a combination of several things. There are lots of things that come up that I don't want to take notice of or that I notice and I don't want to do anything with, but it's those things that really resonate within you that you're like, oh, that's interesting. And I want to to follow that thread and see where it goes. Mm -hmm. And that's how things present them. So I think you are finding them. Just in the sense that when something reaches your awareness, you make the decision to do something with it. So it finds us and we find it. There's a a symbiotic relationship within that situation because I could have taken a completely different path with this and maybe been equally as happy and excited about it, but it could have looked much, much different. But I love the way I've taken it and the life that I've designed because I've recognized the things that come up and I've been curious. And what I did was I remained curious about what was presenting itself. And that's something in my personality that I've noticed it has been the case for my entire life. So you start to recognize things when you write them down. And when things come up, you're unafraid, you're curious, and you want to follow that thread. And that's how you've grown your business and I've grown mine but they're totally different. What's next for you, Jen? I have no idea and how exciting is that? I do not know. Right now we're recording this on a Wednesday morning and tomorrow on Thursday, I have three eight hour days. um, The times I'm taking my uh, practitioner's exam to be a practitioner in NLP therapy. Wow. And I wasn't expecting to take that class. I wasn't expected to get, I, it was not on my radar. So a situation presented itself and I knew it was something I wanted to do. And I jumped in and the class is in Australia. So they're 17 hours ahead of me. So the time difference has been terrible <laughs> <laughs> for me. It's been difficult. And I think every time something like that happens, I think, huh, I wonder where this will take us. This is This is going to be an exciting adventure. What adventure are we going to go on? And when when something presents and it resonates and you follow the thread, I don't know. I know that I was asked to start a second podcast, which isn't quite right for me. I am meeting with somebody later today who wants to take my podcast onto TV platforms and wants me to start a second show, but not like my podcast. I like, what will that bring? I don't know, our next conversation will be interesting. So what, what you do is things present, you follow the thread. So I don't know what is next, but I find it very exciting. And I know that it will be the life that I've designed because I will take those things that really resonate and I will follow the thread with curiosity and I will see how that opens up. I know I'm connected to another company in Australia that I absolutely love. And that that will continue on, but I don't know in what way. I mean, it's <laughs> so exciting, right? You have all of it these really what is. ifs. It really is. And so I don't know, but I know that I will love it and it will, and everything I do will be in huge part, part of my moral ethical code and my desire to give back and help other people and really have connection. Which is where it all started from. Which is where it all started from.
0: Wanting to help other people to, to give back what I'd learned to other authors. And you're doing the same, what you've learned through your life, what you've gone through to give back to listen to to help people i think that's amazing so jen where can people find your book and uh, how can they listen to your amazing podcast
1: everything i have is on momof18.com the podcast information is there but you the the actual live videos are not there yet they're in the process you know when you switch your website server and host and all that stuff it takes some time so everything's everything's a process um it's progress not perfection so the but everything is there my podcast if you search the naked podcaster it's on 34 platforms it's Mm -hmm. very easy to find if you want to listen to the podcast you can the information about it is on my website my book i actually have yes i'm collecting your email you put your email in there and i send you the pdf i do very few newsletters you're not on some weird mailing list um But I do like to collect who I am connecting with. So I send the PDF for free to anyone who wants it. Wow. Um, You just have to ask. I want it to help people, and to help people, it needs to get in more people's hands. If you want to purchase it, you can purchase it on Amazon. Um, I think it's seven or eight dollars. I don't even remember. Uh, You know, as an author, I get like a dollar. I made $26 off my book last year. I'm not, I, I mean, that's kind of, I'm bragging. I know I'm bragging, but it was $26. It's ridiculous,
0: yeah. No, you yes, can't make a, money as an author. Tell me about it. Not,
1: not generally, which is not why I did it. So I like to joke about that. I will happily send you the PDF for the book. The podcast is everywhere. Connecting with Wonderful. me is so easy on my website.
0: That's fantastic, Jen. It's been such an honor chatting with you. Thank you so much for uh, coming early hours of the morning. (laughs) And by the way, you're a double for Julia Roberts. You've got that smile. Uh, You've got that laugh. You're absolutely beautiful lady. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Thanks so much.